In Psalm 145, as we have already read this morning, David praised Jehovah. And he praised him for his greatness, for all the things that he had done. But at the same time, David is exhorting the people then and still today us as well. He's exhorting men to call to mind, to talk about the awesomely mighty works which God has done, the things that God has accomplished. The importance of meditating and proclaiming the great acts of God, the great works of God, is quite apparent when you study the Old Testament. As you look back on that history again and again, seeing God's people, the children of God, being called upon to remember, to to proclaim, to to talk about the great things that God has accomplished. But as we have recently studied in our examination of the book of Judges, we see that there was a generation who did not know the Lord. A generation that did not know the work which he had done for Israel. And as students of God's word, as students of that history, I think for most of us, it is somewhat unimaginable how the Israelites could have forgotten. Do you ever wonder about that? How could they have forgotten? How could there have been a generation that did not know the amazing things Jehovah, God, accomplished regarding the exodus of that nation. That just, to me, is a phenomenal thought to consider they did not know Jehovah. And they did not know the work which Jehovah had done. Today, think about today in our world, not just our country, but in the world. The majority of our human race today do not know God. They do not know God. And nor do they know most of the true stories, these real accounts of what the Bible tells us. The New Testament writers, Holy Spirit-guided writers, challenged believers and Christians then and still today that every generation needs to remember. Every generation needs to be able to call to mind what God has accomplished. For example, in 2 Peter chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, the apostle is writing his second letter, and he says, I'm writing to remind I'm writing to remind you by stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. He says, I'm writing this letter. I'm writing you a second time because I want to stir you up. I want to get your mind thinking on the right kind of things. And and one of the things he said, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. You need to remember 
what has been said in times gone by. Even Jude, the writer of Jude, that small letter right before the last book of the New Testament, even in Jude, as he is equipping saints, equipping Christians like us to face the adversity, to face the opposition of error, he says to to them and us that we need to remember the judgments of God. And he calls to mind, particularly at the beginning verses, three great things that God did. He talks about how the judgment on his people in the wilderness. He talks about the angels in heaven that he's judged. And he talks about the judgment that fell on Sodom. He says, I I want you to remember these things as you move forward. Today, I want us to go back in history, in ancient history. And I want to bring to our remembrance the mighty things God, our creator, did in the days of Noah. So turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to be reading there in verse 11. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter, and then we're going to start trying to make some applications as we kind of call to mind God, who he is. And as we come to understand him and know him and appreciate him more and better because we are reflecting upon what God did the great things God accomplished long ago. So in Genesis chapter 6, as you look back to that well-known story, that well-known account to most of us, a story that we need to be able to tell others that don't know this story, it says in verse 11, Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark. An ark of gopher wood, and you shall make the ark with rooms, and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. You shall make a window for the ark, and finish it to a cubit from the top, and set the door of the ark in the side of it. And you shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold. I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh, and which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and shall enter the ark, and you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you, and And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind in the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds, after their kind, and of the animals, after their kind, 
of every creeping thing of the ground, and for its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourselves some of all food which is edible, and gather it to yourself, and it shall be for food for you and for them. And thus Noah did, according to all that God had commanded him, so he did accordingly. So here you have the well-known story of God in the days of Noah, the building of the ark and the, and the coming of the waters. And so what, what do we learn? What do we know about God, about the great things that he did? Well, the first of all, what jumps out to me is the fact, if you get the right button here, what jumps out to me is the fact that God saw. God saw what was happening. And God still sees. There's a number of times, if you read the entire chapter, that the vision of God is emphasized. And you think about that. You think about the fact that God was grieved in his heart by what he saw happening, but what he saw men doing. For example, verse 5, verse 11, and verse 12, they talk about what God's seeing and things that he looked at and things that he beheld. The creator of the universe, the creator of humanity, mankind, was not and is not oblivious. He is not cut off from his creation. God saw and God sees. Nothing happens of which he is unaware of. Nothing happens that he is not impacted by it. Though he lives in heaven and man is on earth. King David... King David, in Psalm 139, expressed well the fact of how he personally knew. He personally knew of the nature of God knowing what was going on in his life. In Psalm 139, verse 3, he says, You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Now, David, when he said all my ways, he meant all his ways. And so he wasn't just focusing on the bad things he had done. But that's the point. There is nothing and there was nothing in David's life that God was not personally aware of. And that's why you could say in verse 7 of the same psalm, where can I go from your spirit? Or, Or where can I flee from your presence? No, David understood well the nature of God, the God in Noah's day saw, and that God still sees what happens in the world, what happens in our country, what happens in our lives. And the reason why is because there is no creature As the Hebrew writer says, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open. All things are laid bare to the eyes of him whom we have to do. That's one of the lessons of Genesis 6, is to notice the eyes of God at work in the days of Noah. 
God saw. God saw what was going on, and God still sees what's going on in this entire world, as well as what's going on in our personal lives. Everyone, absolutely everyone, is absolutely exposed to God. God sees. But also, everyone is absolutely accountable. That's one of the lessons of Genesis 6. But God does not just see the bad. God does not just see the wickedness in the world. God saw and God sees faithfully good men. He saw Noah. You look there again in chapter 6. Notice verse 8. He said, but Noah found favor where? Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God saw the wickedness and the violence and the evil that was rampant and increasing in Noah's day. But God saw Noah. And what God saw in Noah caused Noah to find favor in the eyes of the Lord because, verse 9, he was a righteous man. He was a man who was blameless in his time, and Noah walked with God. The faith of a man in a time of great wickedness did not go unnoticed. Noah listened to God too. There at the end of the chapter, verse 22, it talks about Thus Noah did, and he did according to all that God had commanded him, and so he did. And so here is a man who's righteous, here's a man who's blameless in his time, here's a man who is walking with God, he obeyed what God commanded, because the man who walks with God is the man that does what God says. No one can be pleasing to God without believing that God is, and Noah did that. But Noah didn't just believe that God is. Noah also was a man who sought God, as talked about in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Excuse me, that should be verse 6. Hebrews 11, verse 6, where it it speaks of the idea of we cannot be pleasing before God without believing that he is and believing that he is a a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And that's exactly what Noah was doing. He was diligently seeking God in his day. And it's still true today. Consider something that Jesus said in his ministry when he says, I am the good shepherd and I know, I know my own. God takes notice. Jesus takes notice of those faithfully good men walking with God in difficult times. But also what we see in Genesis chapter 6 and the chapters following is the fact that God judged. God's judge and God is the one who flooded the earth. In 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, you have a passage where the apostle 
is describing the time when there will be men that will rise up, and he says, and they will be mockers of God. And one of the things they will mock God about is the fact that God destroyed the world by flooding. They're going to mock that. In chapter 3 of 2 Peter, you look there in verse 5 and verse 6, he says, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time. Uh, Here's a world that was formed out of water and through water, but then at that time was destroyed by being flooded with water. And mockers have risen up. Among humanity, through the ages, mocking the story of Noah. But in Genesis chapter 6, in speaking to Noah, God is quite plain and specific about who's doing what. He says to Noah, behold, I, even I and bringing the flood of water upon the earth. Sin, wickedness, evil, they are not overlooked. And God does not ignore it simply indefinitely. There comes a time of judgment. Always. There comes a time to face the judgment. But what we need to understand in our day of of having mockers of God and mockers of the Bible and mockers of the great stories of long ago, climate change, a meteor hitting the earth, or some change in space did not cause all the continents of this world to be completely flooded. That's not what happened. God did it. That's what happened. God judged. God flooded the earth. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy the breath of living things. And and you think about that idea. Noah not only built the ark, but also we are told that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And later on, generations, centuries later, in the days of Ezekiel, the prophet in captivity, among the, 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 the Israelite slaves, in the land of Babylon, proclaiming God's message to them and expounding to them why what has happened and why what will happen happens. It is in that context of Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14, and it says, even if Noah could be here, or Job, even if these righteous men of history were here in this present time, Ezekiel, by the direction of the Spirit, says, Noah's righteous could not save Judah. Noah's righteous did not save the world. And Noah's righteous would not save 
Judah either. But it was God. God is the one who did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of ungodly. God spoke and brought the universe into existence. And that's all God has to do to destroy the earth with water. Just speak. God judged. And God flooded the earth. But he is also the one who saved Noah. God saved Noah. God saved all of those that were with Noah. It wasn't just Noah's doing. It is God at work. And you think about it. Noah did not Noah did not predict what was going to happen. Noah did not know that several years later, this is going to happen. Noah had no clue until God told him. Noah didn't predict this. Nor was it Noah who designed and engineered a vessel that would both carry a large cargo and at the same time withstand catastrophic forces of water. Catastrophic forces of water. Not just a lot of rain, but a lot of water coming from elsewhere as well. Noah didn't design that. Noah didn't engineer that. It is God. God saved Noah. God was the forecaster. God was the designer and architect. God was the provider and the sustainer. And so when you read the account, the divinely inspired account of the story of Noah, it's not just about Noah. It's about God the God that still rules the universe, your God and my God. And it is that God that told Noah what to build and is that God that told Noah how to build a survival vessel. And it was God that told them when to enter the ark. And it was God that closed the door. And it was God who caused the waters to recede. And it was God who told Noah when to exit the ark. God saved Noah. And God saved everyone and everything that was with Noah in what God designed and provided. That's why in 2 Peter, when the apostle refers to this mighty work of God, it says that God preserved Noah and all that was with him. Or over in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, when it talks about the disobedient generation, you know, you know, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark. So God's patience is being demonstrated the fact that he provided a means of salvation, gave time for that plan to work, and that was opportunity for the wicked 
to repent. So God was patient. God was long-suffering during the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight souls, were brought safely through the water. Who brought these eight souls safely through the water? It wasn't Noah. It was God. God brought those eight souls safely through water. And it is that same God today that saves you and me now, how? Through baptism. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, corresponding to that, just as God provided the means of salvation to bring Noah and those souls safely through the water, he says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God saved Noah. God judged and God saved. But finally, God is the one who set the rainbow in the cloud. After bringing Noah and all living things with him safely through the created forces of nature, all under God's command. So should the story of calming the sea be a surprise to us? If we, if we remember God in the days of Noah, should we be surprised that even Jesus commands the winds and the waves? No, we should not. For he is the son of God. And so after safely bringing them all through this, God in chapter 9 of Genesis blesses, blesses Noah and all that was alive. And he, he, he says to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And he wasn't just talking to Noah and the sons. He was instructing all living things to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth. And he goes on to say, every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I gave all to you, I give all to you as I gave the green plant. God then sets the rain, rainbow in the cloud. And so going back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 9, let's read a few verses. As we are made mindful of the significance of what God is doing and who he is based upon what he did when he put that rainbow in the sky. In Genesis chapter 9, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 11, he says, I will establish my covenant with you, and all flesh shall never again. Be cut off by the water of the flood. Neither there shall be again a flood to destroy the earth. He didn't say there won't be flooding in places. But he said but there will never again be a flood to destroy the whole earth. God said, verse 12, This is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you 
for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud. And it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and you and the earth. God is the faithful covenant keeper. God is the faithful covenant keeper. The rainbow did not come into being until after the flood. It's after the flood, God says, I will set the bow in the clouds. Now today, we can study and we examine the amazing means by which, the amazing avenue by which that natural thing works. But do not, do not let scientific explanations diminish the magnitude that God sets the bow in the cloud. We might give a scientific explanation of how light is fractured through water droplets. But Genesis 9 tells us the same God that flooded the earth is the God that set the bow. I set, he says, I set the bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign. Don't let the natural explanation diminish the wonder that should fill you about your God. The bow is not only an evidence of God's power, God's handiwork, as every created thing is. The bow, the rainbow, is a sign of God's justice. It is a sign of God's compassion. It is a sign of God's faithfulness. We're told here in Genesis 9, look at verse 15. He says, he says, when it, when it comes about, when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow will be seen in the cloud. And then verse 15, he says, and I will remember my covenant. I, this is God speaking, I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And never again shall the water become a, fl- never, the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. Every time, Every single time, every single moment, God sees every bow that appears. Anytime, any place, at any moment, when that bow appears in the sky, whether it's in North America, or whether it's in Africa, it doesn't matter where and when it is. When God sees that bow, and God sees everything, nothing happens, nothing occurs on earth in his creation that he does not see. And when he sees that, God says, I remember. Every time. 
Whether it's a full bow and you just stand there in awe of its in wonder of its amazing beauty, or whether it's a tiny little bow, God sees it. And when God sees it, he remembers a covenant. A covenant that he made, that he made with mankind, and a covenant that he made with all living things. And then he says, I will never again destroy all flesh by a flood of water. That is why David in Psalm 145 would encourage us to proclaim and meditate upon all the works of God. Because it fills us with wonder. It fills us with reverence. It fills us with humility. It fills us with gratitude. So when you see it, when you see the bow in the clouds, what do you remember? What do you remember when you see the bow? What are you going to remember the next time you see that bow in the clouds? And what does it provoke you to do then? For God, he remembers his covenant and he will be faithful to it all the days of time. What will you do when you remember the works of God? What God did in the days of Noah so long ago, ancient history, ancient history, It's not just a long time ago. It is a very, very, very long time ago God did this. But what God did then is not a fable. It's not fiction. It's real. It is a manifestation of God himself. That God, in the days of Noah, he saw... He judged, he saved, and he established a covenant. We're told also by Peter in the same context of 2 Peter chapter 3. By his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. It's not for water, it's reserved for. God's faithful to the covenant, and his bow is a constant reminder to God and to us. But by his word, we know that the present heavens and the present earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. God will still judge wickedness. God will still judge sin. God will still judge violence and evil. God sees and man is accountable. But only his perfect plan can save you. It was God that saved Noah and all living things in that ark. 
Because Noah, by faith, listened, obeyed, and walked accordingly. God has provided the means for you and me to be saved. The day's coming. It may be in our lifetime or maybe after our lifetime, but it doesn't matter. To God, time is not relevant. At least not. He's not counting time. He's judging by a different standard. But he's saying, I will judge. I will be faithful to my covenant, but I will judge. He said, I provided a way that you can be saved. It is also through water. But you must know for certainly that Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one of God, and he is the Lord, and he is the king. He is the son of God. You must know that for certain. And with that knowledge and with that conviction, you must be willing to walk with him. To listen and obey what he commands. If you will. Today. You can confess your faith with your mouth unashamedly before others. Doing so with repentance. Turning from the sin in your life. And then choosing to be saved Likewise, corresponding to the story of Noah, likewise to be saved through water. Because that's God's plan. And that's God's provision. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you've not been baptized for the mission of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ, we want to encourage you to do that. If you are a Christian, you've done that, but you have fallen away. You've strayed from His path. And there's sin that has come back in your life Mastering your life. You need to repent of that again. And you need to humbly confess those sins to God and repent of them and come back to the Lord. Whatever your need may be today, however we may help you, we encourage you, we invite you, please come forward. Make your wishes known as we stand to sing the song that has been selected.